Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is Eric from Leadership is Tricky here with Steven. What's going on, Steven? Eric, I'm good. How are you? It's good. It's a, it's a great day. I got uh, one of our friends from uh, Harvard here, um, uh, Patty. And uh, Patty, um, welcome. Thank you for uh, coming on the episode uh, with us and, and sharing your stories and sharing with the audience what you're about and what you're passionate about. So um, what we'll do is we'll turn it over to you. Um, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. So uh, I just retired from a 20-year career in the Coast Guard and retired as a commander out of a job as gender policy advisor in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. So um, I'm going to be speaking today a lot about um, gender policy, minorities, um, inclusion, and um, but just briefly a little bit more about me. I while I was in the Coast Guard, I mostly had a career on in human resources, but did some operational stuff on a, a Coast Guard cutter, did some law enforcement, search and rescue, and um, also did some work with the work-life um, social services and um, the medical field. So I kind of have a very varied background. Um, currently in retirement, I'm loving it. And I started my own company called Whole Authentic You, where I coach and consult with um, leaders and companies to help work through their diversity and inclusion issues and also their own personal leadership struggles. So that's pretty much a summary of me. So uh, just to start off the conversation, you know, you mentioned the 20 years. So thank you for your service. That's incredible. Were you, have you always been around this area of, I don't want to call it human resources, but just the idea about gender policies and improving those and giving more, let's say, underrepresented peoples inside of an organization that, that voice inside? Has this been kind of an area of focus for you? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, um, I'd like to say I kind of fell into it. My first experience with any advocacy work for women's issues took place in 2002 when I was assigned to the Naval Academy Prep School in Newport, Rhode Island. And um, I had a, I was a company officer at the time and I had a student who was sexually assaulted. And um, it was, it, it was my first opportunity, I guess, to see how the system wasn't fully supportive of her situation, um, and there were several breakdowns in that. I won't get into details, but it really opened my eyes up to some of the the issues and barriers and obstacles that are confronting uh, our service members. And specifically in that situation, it was the woman. And so that was probably my first time when I put myself out there a little bit. made the tough decision, you know, we, we speak of leadership and I think one of the hardest things in leadership is doing the right thing, despite whenever all the other forces are saying, (laughs) just go with tradition or go with what, you know, what has always been done. And I was really forced to stand up to a few leaders and, um, uh, you know, above me and ultimately the, the right things happened. Um, but the damage was done. Um, so ever since that opportunity, 
in 2002, in the back of my mind, I always had this passion for helping with removing some of these barriers and improving our policies. So what, during my career, no matter what job I was in, I found myself coming back to that line of work as say my side gig. <laughs> No, I think it's important, too, is to be courageous and uh, to, to influ influence some change. And sometimes being the lone nut isn't always popular and you might put yourself on an island. But um, I, I I would probably say that in the 18 years since that moment, um, you've probably impacted a lot of people's lives. And I think that's the stuff that goes on beyond your, your time in the service. I would hope, yes. It's a lot of different team players in there too, but yeah, I think it, it is a it is one of those where just standing up and advocating and saying, "Hey, could we do this differently?" Well, goes a long way for somebody's lives. So, in that situation, it did, and it worked out. You know, I didn't lose my career, <laughs> which I thought in the moment that I was um, saying too much, but it ended up that the Coast Guard uh, absolutely took care of me. Um, not only did they take care of me, but they, my, uh, my boss at the time said to me that she was proud of me and, and, and standing up and saying something. So I, there, that was a really, you know, pivotal moment for me. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. So, let me ask. So you said your company, Whole Authentic You. I think it's an awesome name, too, because we talk about authenticity and being your authentic self and finding your true north and all those types of things on this show. Yeah, we might ask you back on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so so, so why, why that business? Why is that passionate to you? Why is diversity, inclusion, and standing up for minorities passionate for uh, something of your passion? I don't know if I said so that right. You absolutely, right. <laughs> it was great. I understood it. Um, so for me, during my career, I felt that I could never be fully me. Being a woman in a very hyper-masculine environment, <clears throat> it always felt intimidating. And even, um, even if I was myself, I felt like it would even hurt my career sometimes. Um, so the concept of being fully yourself in a leadership role, I guess it came, came to me about maybe eight years ago. And I said, why are women suppressing almost who they are authentically just to fit into this environment? Because it's not really serving the, 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 the woman or the minority. And it's not serving the organization because we're muting our voices. We're muting who we are. And where you get innovation is by hearing those voices, hearing um, the thoughts of everybody in their authentic self. So one of the things that I created, and this was actually back when I was at the Pentagon, which is hyper-masculine, <laughs> and, and also I was out of my element, being Coast Guard in a DOD environment, I was one of 12 Coasties there, very out of my element. And I was also, on average, a little bit younger than a lot of the retirees that work there. And I'm totally stereotyping who works at the Pentagon right now. But um, <clears throat> I, so I didn't really find a, a group that I connected with. So I found my own. And that's whenever I discovered that a lot of other women were having the same issues. They were um, 
sort of pretending to be someone they weren't at work just to thrive and get ahead. And so I formed groups and um, I call them women's circles where we would get together and talk about some of the challenges and support each other in a very non-judgmental space. And so that we could go to work, be more fully us and contribute more, I guess. So that's exactly my question to you. So my experience with offices of diversity and inclusion in my career, I've been around the formation of these employee resource groups or affinity groups that maybe some people are familiar with hearing. Um, it sounds like you had maybe the more informal way of getting after bringing the voices together, you, using, you know, maybe it was time during the day or it was outside of work. Can you talk to how much support you received from that senior leader or senior leadership um, around the program you were kind of, you know, creating with the women's circles and did it grow into other types of groups around the organization so that they could come together and join on their common kind of goal together? So the informal groups I did, I did those outside of the workplace for the most part. So, however, we did introduce them to the Coast Guard which was a really cool opportunity. And we did a simple, so as part of the Coast Guard, there's a group called the Women's Leadership Initiative, which I'm still, I'm external relations for that organization, still on their governance committee. But one of the things that they did was they had an event where they just got everybody together and they will do some sort of professional development thing and maybe talk about some of the issues and barriers for women. Well, we decided to introduce the concept of circles, and um, it was actually a friend of mine's idea to introduce them to the Coast Guard. So they put a sign-up sheet in the back of the room, and like 100 people signed up for circles. We expected maybe 10 to 20, maybe, and we got like 100. Yeah, you were definitely on to something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so we ended up uh, conducting the circles. It was, I think, maybe in six or eight week program where they met regularly. And those are really about not necessarily talking about the big Coast Guard global issues as an organization, but more of just your own self-reflection and how to get more confident and, and, and thrive on that support of other women. So you can go out into your office space and be more you. And they went really well. But what we found was it was just too large of a, Thing to manage and maintain with everything going on and no resources. So it's all on the grassroots level. And the other thing is, is to develop, you'd have to develop a training program to make sure the facilitators knew how to create that space and that safety around um, pulling the women together so that they felt safe and not, uh, and not put back in the environment that they just came from where it's very cutthroat or masculine and things like that. Kind of like internal fight clubs I see inside of organizations. <laughs> I, and I love the idea of the safety. And I think that's what I hear all the times, you know, the, the, the good ones out there, the good offices of diversity and inclusion or however they're termed inside their organization, they, they give the resources to said individual, to charter kind of the, the group around their common bond. I've seen others for like veterans inside of organizations. Um, it could be any kind of other, you know, one-off, not not around maybe the typical demographic differences that we all have, but it could be like a 
if it was a very marketing based organization, but yet a lot of people inside of it that loved IT and technology, maybe there was an affinity group or an employee resource group that really wanted to talk tech. So the organization would give them, you know, the space to do that during the day. Uh, so one of the things, too, though, outside of just physical space or, or time, too, it's like just creating that holding environment. I think you kind of hit on it, Steve, by asking, you know, what kind of support did you get from folks um, maybe in a leadership role, a managerial role, or even from the Coast Guard itself to give you the resources to build that holding, holding environment, that safe space to get after the real work that you wanted to get after, which was um, – kind of support those that have been stigmatized or um, stereotyped or disenfranchised um, within your organization. So, um, and I know you had mentioned too, Patty, that you did not get those resources. Um, It was really more of a grassroots efforts. And and, and I commend you for that because that's probably the most difficult thing to do is to, you know, just get a coalition of the willing to turn into community of action um, and, you know, hope that it doesn't fizzle out because you don't have the resources to, to maintain it. Um, and one of the things that one of our um, one of our coworkers here um, says all the time, you know, when you get into something like that, is it sustainable? Um, and, and you have to be real with yourself at some point. Like you said, you guys just couldn't maintain it because you didn't have enough resources um, to, to to keep it going. Um, so 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 now. You started off with saying that you really wanted to talk about diversity, inclusion, um, and you know, in minorities, and and why is that? You know, and what did you really want to get after, and what did you want to discuss? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I learned um, in the in in my role that was fascinating to me was when it comes to removing barriers for women and minorities and improving the workforce environment, I guess, for everybody. A lot of leaders want to hone in on one specific issue and um, or or come up with those quick fixes, those low-hanging fruits, right, that they can just make change and everybody will be happy and we can make this and hopefully we can do away with the offices of diversity and inclusion, right? Because everybody's happy and all is good. Yeah, because we made yes. a quota. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're not yes. we're not checking a box, right? <laughs> yeah. So so one of the things that I found in one of the actually let me go back to the women's circles real quick. One of the reasons why I couldn't dedicate a lot of time to the women's circles was we launched uh, a big study in the Coast Guard called Improving Gender Diversity in the Coast Guard or or what I label as our women's retention study. And we partnered with Rand Corporation on it because we really wanted to understand the underlying reasons why women were leaving the Coast Guard at a greater rate than men. And what I mean by that is whenever somebody fills out an exit survey, they might say, well, I'm leaving the Coast Guard because I'm going to have a baby, or I'm leaving the Coast Guard for new career opportunities or to go to higher education. So the question is, is like all of those things are authorized other than a different career, I guess. But you know, they're authorized and you can do them in the Coast Guard. You can have a baby while you're in the Coast Guard. You can go to school while you're in the Coast Guard. So why are women feeling like torn and then they can't stay? So we tried to like peel back the layer of the, why are they really truly leaving? What's going on? And what we found was there's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that's going to cure the retention or the attrition problem. So we um, so through this study, 
we found that it's actually um, a thousand cuts, I like to refer to them as. And there's several things that happen during a person's career that add up. And then they say, I can't take it. One more cut is just going to put me over the edge. And what I mean by cuts, it could be something like um, something as major as like a sexual assault, sexual harassment, or something as simple as you got called out for your bun size was too thick on the on your head mm-hmm. and you or, or you weren't authorized a ponytail that day but that's the only thing that would fit under your helmet um something like that you know it's a very small thing it's a uniform regulation or a grooming standard but over time it becomes you know it all adds up um you can't find child care on base for your child your boss gets mad because you have to leave early for whatever situation so all those things kind of add up so bringing it back to to the diversity and inclusion quote solution is as leaders we need to look more systemically and more holistic when we think about these issues policy is one piece of it but you also have training you have um data and analytics you have accountability um you have just basic support. And so, for example, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. To solve the training issue, what they'll do is they'll do a standalone training. Everybody go to diversity and inclusion training for one hour, right? And everybody laughs, everybody gets mad because <laughs> they don't want to go to standalone one hour training. So the concept is when you look at things more holistically and systemically is could we take existing leadership training and embed leadership concepts into those? Which would make a lot more sense because you're kind of sneaking it in, <laughs> so, to, so to speak. But as a leader, every leader should be more inclusive. They should be working on their inclusivity because that's what, in my opinion, definitions of leaders are. They take their team, they figure out everybody's strengths and they, figure out a way to make those strengths, you know, utilize them to the best of their ability. So when it comes to, um, so one of the things that I think is really important is to, to really pause for a moment and say, as a system, what should we be doing differently to make these small tweaks to start chipping away at those thousand cuts that people are feeling? I hope that makes sense. I think so for me. Um, what I was thinking about when you said that, because I think we all have frustrations. I just came out of a meeting this morning, you know, just this is fresh in my mind. And I was talking to one of the other persons that were in the meeting. And we both looked at each other and said, we just wasted an hour of our day talking about the same things we've been talking about for the last week or two or whatever. I mean, and, and I know that's just one pet peeve of mine. Maybe it's a pet peeve of others out there listening. But it's those little things that you're talking about that kind of get at you. And I and I find folks that can put up with a lot more than others. And I think that's a big question I would love to and talk to, maybe not at this moment, but um, you know, how can other people have a higher level of tolerance to the thousand paper cuts? And then I don't think they're all equal as well. And I think that's maybe the point of being more inclusive and looking at everybody's voice and kind of democratizing it to a certain extent, because 
when you just put the training out there and say, go check the box, do the diversity inclusion training. Now we're all smart on diversity inclusion. It doesn't solve anything. No. So one of the things, especially when we just hone in on inclusion and we talk about uh, minorities and women in the workplace um, or or those that have been marginalized, and it it could be, it doesn't have to be women or minorities, right? But um, so when we were back at Harvard, there was a um, instructor, her name is Iris Bonet, um, Mm. and she gave us a book called What Works. And I took that book and I read it on the way, the flight back, you know, long flight back from Boston. So I'm, I'm reading this book and she has action, actionable things in there that you can take as an organization to start to chip away um, at the exclusivity yeah. of, of certain <laughs> things and starting to put people um, of these different uh, groups at the table um, and she talks about um, in, in her book, too, is like when you look around the table and you see less than 35 percent of m- minorities or um, and when we say minorities, we're talking about people that aren't represented, underrepresented, underrepresented yeah. uh, individuals. And that could be a, a multitude of people. Um, but when you look around the table and you see that it's, you know, 98 percent white male, you know that you have a problem. Um, but there's. And but to your point earlier, Patty, of data analytics and doing studies, I think that is the first step is to look what's the problem um, and then start to pull some data. And we did this at an organization that I was working at where there weren't a lot of women in IT and they were turning down jobs at a rapid pace if we did offer it to them. So what we did is we stripped Mm -hmm. away any indication if it was a female from the the resume or if it said you know any type of gender we took away the names we if it said mr we took it out and it, 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 the process was longer well, we talked about on isms people have bias you know you want to so, get rid of that yeah so we were trying to take away that intrinsic bias right mm-hmm. so then as it goes through the panel we had a diverse panel you know we had a you know white female black female black male white male and went through that process um, and it was deliberate we did it with like 10 actions and at the end of the day, when it came to the interview, of course, you're going to know because we do telephonic interviews, you know, if they're male or female. But we found that there were maybe three or four females on the interview. And of those 10 jobs, we extended job offers to four um, and three declined because they weren't willing to move their families across the ocean um, because, you know, whether it was kids in school, husband just took a new job. You know, these are all facts. And the only one that took the job was uh, a more senior um more experienced uh, female that was without children, um, and she took one of our director positions. But but through throughout all that, we were doing focus groups to get after issues that were plaguing um, gender equality um, within our organization. And what we found too was it's some people would would, would voice their opinions and some wouldn't. Um, for fear of retribution, even though we said it was a safe space. And at the end of it all, um, when we did all our results, I would ask those questions, you know, why weren't you more vocal? Because you're more vocal outside of that environment. And they just felt like it was the same people that were a part of the problem that were in the room. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so, so I think I say all that just to say that there's, we have to get to a point where we can identify that there is a problem because a lot of people ignore the fact that there is one. The head in the sand syndrome? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or they don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation or feel like they're part of the problem. Yeah. And then actually put resources against the problem set to actually do the data analytics and comb through that data to build some type of actionable 
some some type of action plan and actually implement it. And I think it comes down to if it's important to them. How do you how do you give them the so what? And yeah. I think that's maybe why we have these offices of diversity and inclusion today that were created and they were forced in a certain sense. I, I'm not saying that they are bad, but I'm saying they were a, a reaction to maybe a systemic problem that was across the board to your point that we're not emphasizing these things enough. Yeah, and in our, in our last yeah. in our last episode, we talked to Michelle Bolos and she was talking a little bit about um, a lot of the work she does with women out there and. I think the whole point behind it was is that we, we all have to get involved and have the uncomfortable conversations. Um, and and on both sides of it, we all have to be educated enough to be able to have the conversation and then move towards some, some positive change somewhere. And challenge those assumptions all day long. Absolutely. So I didn't mean to hijack your, 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 your piece. No, there, I, I actually appreciate you bringing up Iris Bonet because um, she was actually, I, I wrote some notes for today and she was one of the ones that I wanted to highlight because I think her work is, is so amazing because it gets you to think differently about the issues. She, Iris basically says, we all have bias. That's a fact. What we need to do is set the organization up so that we remove or we reduce those opportunities for bias to influence it. And so when you think about it that way, it is just like you did. That is a perfect example of removing those names, removing things that, you know, doing a telephonic interview. So you're not judging based on their face or their their body or whatever, um, skin color, you know, all of those things, removing those opportunities for our bias to show up we have it we know this you know is it's just it's just revolutionary i think i i love her book i actually have i think three copies of her book and i just keep passing them out to people to borrow because it's just it really gets you to think differently i mean whenever um and oh i wanted to mention something else to your point about you know the 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 start with the study that's exactly what our thoughts were is we knew the issues. Everybody knew the issues, but we needed to have it a concrete thing. You know, we needed to have the data. We needed to have the the, the report so that the leaders could say, okay, I will take action on this. But the one thing we also did was we made the report public. So anybody can go and Google our, our report on, on um, women's retention. And what that did was it gave that a little bit of outside pressure and transparency that I think a lot of organizations benefit from. It doesn't always feel good to air the dirty laundry, so to speak. But in our case, I think it really went a long way because the message wasn't, oh, we got all these problems in the Coast Guard. The message was, we're investing a lot of money, almost a million dollars to do this, which in the Coast Guard world's a lot, by the way. Um, <laughs> we're I was gonna say, we just lot. spent that today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we're investing the money because we care about this problem and we want to learn more and we're going to take action. So following the study, the first thing we did was set up a personnel readiness task force to to get about 10 people focused on the recommendations of the study and take action on them to liaison with all of those offices who, you know, were just why would they take action? They, they, you know, they have nothing, nobody's going to be proactive about this stuff unless there's some outside force. And um, 
and it's happening. We've got several policies changed and, and things are happening and things are moving. So I think to your point, though, you have to start with the study, but it has to keep going. You know, you can't just stop there. You got to keep going with all the action and, and put really dedicated people to it. And obviously leadership support. We were very grateful to have leadership. And I mean, coming up like leadership level. So, so can I ask a question? So as you guys, you did the study, you found out what the real work was supposed to happen and what needed to happen. Um, how did you go about picking um, the stakeholders that needed to be involved? Um, so the, you mean like the team that we chose for the task force? Absolutely. So we did a solicitation and we interviewed and we selected them and they were permanently assigned to those roles. They, so I think the farthest guy we got from was from Alaska. He moved all the way from Alaska for the position. We chose definitely a diverse group, um, not just based on demographics, but a lot of thought, like the way that they thought about things. Mm -hmm. You needed somebody in there who was able to work with all the stakeholder stakeholders around headquarters and our personnel command. So those relationship builders, those networkers, but you also need the person who can write some really good policy. Um, so we had a very broad range of enlisted officers, civilians, and reservists um, to come together to just come with their perspectives and, and make it happen. And it's an interesting group. Um, but, not a lot of storming. They went right to work, which is cool. But these were people that wanted to be a part of it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. There's they like apply. a common why behind, I think, they're signing up for this mission, if you will, or this purpose in life. Like, I think that's yeah, It gets awesome. after what you talk about all the time, yeah. this purpose-driven economy where people want to get behind these social And then uh, you issues. hear from the top of the organization that it's their, I, would, I wouldn't maybe say it was their number one, but they were dedicating a majority of their budget, time, resource, whatever, and that they were going to help. I mean, I wouldn't say the words hold them accountable, but they were interested in the result that they were going to capture. So I would sign up for that all day long. That's oh, just me too. I'd sign of, up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, where's the... <laughs> because the grassroots, you know, it's important to do the grassroots thing too because there's, there's power in the cross-pollination and those conversations that happen around the water coolers and inside the organization. But until you find that champion, that is so, it's so important to make an impactful change. And I've seen it too many times. I've been a part of it too many times where you're beating your head against the wall. And it's because you don't have that said leader or leaders in those formal roles. No. So, cause when I, you know, I do a lot of reading and, and, and studies on adaptive leadership and it talks about mm -hmm. that getting after the, the real work that needs to happen. What's the change? Who's going to be the change agent? How do you bring stakeholders together? And then ultimately you've retired now, you've gone on to do your, your own thing, but still in the same space, but you've given that work back now to the coast guard to, to continue forward. Um, so you, you might've been the, the igniter, um, you know, to, to better ideas and, and, and positive change. So I commend you for that. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I don't know. Maybe one day my daughter want, want to go to the Coast Guard and I'd be like, yeah, there was this lady named Patty. She started this thing, some kind of task force. <laughs> you know, there's good policy there. Let's go that route, you know, but no, that's cool. So, so now you're doing the consulting kind of work outside of your career now that you've finished with the Coast Guard. So give us a sense of, you know, on the horizon, what does the diversity and inclusion space look like, not only for an organization like yourself, but just for maybe the public and private sector organizations that are that are out there? Like, where do you see the trends going? Mm, it's a really good question. I 
I think that um, most organizations are getting it. They understand the business case. And I think they're just ready to take action. But I think that's where they're getting stuck. They don't know what action to take. Um, they might be focused, you know, like I, I said earlier, they might be focused on one or two parts of the organization, such as recruiting or policy change and or just getting more people into leadership, more women, say, for example, more women into leadership roles um, without really being thoughtful about the way that they get them into those roles, about how they grow them. So I think that it's a it's a really cool time to be in this field, in my opinion. I think it's exciting as anything because organizations are hungry and they just don't, they just need a little bit of guidance. I think where I would have been more frustrated was say 10, 15 years ago where people were still building the business case for it and still not on board. I like to think that most leaders are over that hump and they understand the business case for diversity and inclusion. They just need to put the work in and that's where they are. I guess another idea that I have, have you seen it change based on the new, let's say, I don't want to say new generations coming into the workforce, but as workforce has shaped based off of age and other, you know, baby boomers and whatnot have, have exited. Have you seen more emphasis because of that? Or is it just, has it always been there, but now it's percolated finally because there's been a mass kind of voice behind it? Oh. Is there a correlation, I, I guess, is what I'm saying? I don't believe there is. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, in Harvard probably would have, we would have probably learned about that in uh, the strategies for diverse organizations, but I don't think there's a single one thing that's causing the change. Now, so then we looked at a lot of the studies. It was basically um, how big the company was, the age of the company, right? So you have your Fortune 500, which are large institutions, and we know that the minorities and women are extremely underrepresented. Mm -hmm. There's only 39 um, minority CEOs, and that includes black women, males, um, black males, and um, uh, people of color, um, and women CEOs. Uh, whether white or minority, or I mean, um, person of color. So, um, and that's the studies that we were provided was while we were there were um, based on the the size of the organization. So they do a lot of their studies with Fortune 500, and then they go into like the 100s, and they look at more small businesses and startups. Um, so I know there's a start uh, study out there for startups where they're a little bit more um, diverse. Um, because it's mm -hmm. different. It's about services. So we have like, you know, software developers and, you know, those types of folks and financial folks and more, you know, business relationship management and things like that. But not so much um, on age, whether it's, you know, millennials or baby boomers or generation. It was just an idea. I had. X, Y, Z. Well, you DC, hear a lot about, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that the younger generations are more inclusive because I would challenge that all day long with the people that I've come into contact with <laughs> in life. But um, <laughs> I, I just, you do hear though that, and I know there's a diff there's many different ways to slice this because it could also be on sector because what you're talking about with technology versus maybe the marketing sector versus the healthcare or sector, medical, yeah. they they might be all over the board as well. I'd be really interested to see the stats behind that per sector, what 
which organizations are maybe more diverse and inclusive versus others. And I think the age of the organization is probably spot on. Yeah, I think it'd be great to have Patty on for that piece again. So, yeah. Patty, you got some homework to do. Um, I know. I'll come, do that research. Yeah, come back and educate the <laughs> And then we'll the, get the audience. bill. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the bill. She'll be like, hey. Um, no, so, so, so where do you see yourself? So here you are today. You know, you, you've, you've retired. You started your, your company. Um, you're, you're getting in the door to talk to these organizations that need a nudge. Um, you know, where do you see yourself in the next, you know, 12, 36 months? Um, and you know, what do you hope to achieve, um, as you continue your work? Yeah. So I hope to have, um, you know, more, more experience under my belt with consulting and helping companies and also, I really want to work with senior leaders, executive level leaders, um, work through their own bias yeah. um, and and just become more aware. One of the things I found in the Coast Guard is senior leaders don't have space to work through their stuff. And, and it could be something as simple as I just don't know the language to say when I go to the all hands meeting with the whole company what do I, how do I speak this language? You know, they don't have space in their day-to-day -day workplace to, to, to sift through these things. Um, so I really want to do more of that coaching, that one-on-one -on -one coaching with senior leaders. I found that really fun. And it's also cool to see a senior leader when the light bulb kind of goes off, that they get it. They understand a little bit more. They're a little more self-aware. And then they start incorporating the things, you know, like I would have a sit down with an admiral and then a couple of days later we'd be at a meeting and he would use the language that he learned after a conversation we had. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever to be able to influence um, at that level. It's fun. Cool. So, I mean, we'll definitely track, I mean, I'll definitely track your journey and I, I see you on Facebook and all your updates and um, you know, and LinkedIn and, and all that. So, but yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, we're coming up on time. So if there was one takeaway for this episode that you want to leave with the audience, what would that be? I would say, you know, as we're talking about leadership, take the time, be conscious about it, take the time to learn, read, become more self-aware, collect that feedback from your staffs, be open to the feedback I heard from somebody the other day, they take 20 minutes a week to sit down with different staff members just to pulse in on how they're doing with uh, inclusion. And I thought that was such a great idea. I think just being more conscious of it goes a long way. And not only with your own leadership, but your people will really, really appreciate it in the end. So it benefits everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. What about you, Steve? What do you think? No, I just, uh, I, I'm excited to see you getting out there and you know however large your organization gets because i think the conversation needs to be had and what i'm really happy about what i heard you say is the aha moment is huge for you and the the fact that whatever that aha moment leads to is really important to you know whole authentic you as you know you do hear from consultants sometimes they'll give the um, the plan of action that deliverable back to the organization and they kind of walk away and to them, you know, they've satisfied their why, but at least you care about, you know, nudging the whole conversation across the board. So um, mm -hmm. I hope 
this podcast helps you as well and it gets people to think about it more in their organization. And hopefully they'll reach out to you and, um, you know, ask for that advice. So thanks for the time. Yeah. Thank you. And I would say, um, you can use this platform, um, for your use. So we'll bring you back on. I mean, I'm, I'm big on this. I mean, I have daughters, I'm a minority myself. Um, I've got Steve here next to me to, to, to bounce off and, and, and challenge my assumptions. And, well, I mean, and let's talk, just to speak about minorities, too. Um, it's not just about the demographics like I talked about. Like, I work, and I'll put it out there, I work for the U.S. Army as a civilian. I've never served. I'm around a bunch of people that came up within the Army signal environment. I'm on an island all day long. Yeah, you're and it's on hard, the <laughs> It's really hard to find others that I can empathize with or can empathize with me, so... Yeah, I think we're, we're, we all have those challenges and those barriers that we just got to find the others that we can kind of relate to and have that safe space and conversation with. So I totally love everything about this. Yeah, so you can use this platform anytime you want. You can reach out if you say, hey, I got some more stuff I want to put out and we'll carve the time out and get you on the schedule because um, yeah, you're probably one of the people that I kind of, you know, always wanted to connect with and, and continue to keep that dialogue going, even post uh, our, our diversity and inclusion class. Um, in Boston. So, um, and, and I would say too, for, for, for everyone out there is the self-awareness is the key. I believe, um, when it comes to leadership, to know that we have blind spots, to know that we have intrinsic bias built into ourselves based on how we came up in this world, um, and where we came up in this world, um, and where we're at in our careers, um, where we came from in our careers, um, as we start to climb the ladder, we start to lose some of that space, like you mentioned, Patty, to do some reflection and be honest with ourselves that we do have those biases. And um, ultimately, if unchecked, become prejudices and ultimately some type of ism um, towards a group of people. And we just uh, have to cut that off you know, as early as possible and then have the tough conversation with others to, to seek to understand their perspective and their point of view. Um, so that way we can get after the real work and that's making a positive impact and change in the world. So um, I, I would leave it at that. Uh, Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Perfect. So, yeah, so Patty, uh, again, thank you for coming on. Leadership is tricky. This is what it's about. It's to have those conversations and put information out um, to those that are seeking it because there's, there's millions of people out there that probably don't know anything about diversity and inclusion, don't know anything about people that are being disenfranchised, et cetera. So, um, and I know it's early where you're at and you probably haven't had a, a second cup of coffee yet. So I want to thank you for, um, for, for taking that journey with us and jumping in the deep, jumping in the deep end with us. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Cool. <laughs> Hey, so for the audience out there, um, if it's the first time listening, thank you. Um, we, we hit a couple milestones over the last couple weeks. Um, so um, we, we got our advanced analytics now going. So, yeah, we're at 1,350 downloads, not How just streams. That? How about that? Downloads. Man. In, um, in 90 days. It's and, incredible. And we're in 33 countries. 33 33 countries it was, do we have to start speaking different languages now <laughs> i don't know you think we might have to get some translation software <laughs> i want to be more inclusive with that too <laughs> yeah and for folks out there that you know leaders out there that want to be a part of this movement and get on leadership is tricky please email me at eric e-r-i-c-k at leadership is tricky.com and we'll get you penciled in i got a couple requests last night for folks that want to come on and a couple folks that want to come back on um, to, to share their stories and leadership experiences. And you can get to our episodes and, and on all the major um, platforms. Mm -hmm. 
Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. I even found us on a couple of weird ones. Um, that's interesting. It's all right. I yeah. could I couldn't read it, but I know leadership was tricky was out there. But um, and you can and you can also uh, find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and um, at our leadershipistricky.com website where we have all of our episodes posted along with uh, some of the articles that we have um, received. So with that, Steve, I turn it over to you to say goodbye to the audience. Hey everybody, have a good day. Keep uh, keep these thoughts alive between now and the next time you listen to us, and uh, we'll be talking to you through your your favorite podcast app.